Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Father Brian Malady. He is a Dominican priest. He received his doctorate in sacred theology from the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas, otherwise known as the Angelicum, where he also taught for several years. You've had several popular series on EWTN. Uh, so today we're going to talk about a really, really important topic that way too many people really don't pay any attention to. And if you're worried about your salvation, you better be paying attention to this. And that's his recent book called Grace Explained, How to Receive and Retain God's Most Potent Gift. So, Father, th- one, thanks for joining us. And um, My pleasure. Yeah, so you had done uh, a series on this, geez, almost 30 years ago now. It's hard to believe. Um, Yes. Yeah, but maybe we can talk about, um, you know, what is grace? Why is it so important? And and really understanding this is kind of like the fuel, you know, for a vehicle. If we don't have grace and we expect we're going to get to heaven, we're really barking up the wrong tree, aren't we? Yes, that's true. However, I think it's even more central and vital than that. Yeah. Uh, Regardless of whether a person is worried about getting to heaven or not, the point is that just to have a perfect human being is grace necessary. Now, ever since the Enlightenment, which began, of course, in the 18th century, people have thought that they could perfect themselves without any divine union with God and said, and they've almost thought that they were like God and that God, uh, this actually comes to some of the enlightenment philosophers that when God created us, he couldn't create a perfect, a less than perfect creature. And our minds are so full when we reason of him that they're almost identical to him. And therefore there's no further knowledge needed, which of course unseated faith as the most important thing and made reason the most important thing. Now, as a Dominican, of course, I love reason. I think reason is really important. But obviously, there must be a further knowledge of God than our human reason can arrive at unaided. And so the point is that for a person to be fully alive as a human being, grace is absolutely necessary. And we say, you know, we'd like to get to heaven and we need to get to heaven, which is absolutely true. But why is heaven so important? Right. Some people think we're creating heaven on earth, especially since the 60s. And look what we've produced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If this is heaven, then I'm shooting for something else. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's right. That's right. And so we need to reemphasize that heaven is important because our nature the nature of our mind can't be completed until we actually know God as he is in himself, which he can't do on earth. We can't do on earth. And grace is a necessary means. It's like the road by mm-hmm. which we arrive at this at the end of our lives. And so we need to be very, very concerned for experiencing God's grace, especially sanctifying grace, and to make that the central issue of our lives and not anything else. 
So Catholics believe, unlike Protestants, that grace is a true interior change in your nature. And regardless of whether we committed sin or not, Adam and Eve hadn't committed a sin before the original sin, but they needed grace. They needed grace to go to heaven. And this is because grace is union, a change in our nature by which we're elevated to know as God knows and love as God loves, be transformed by him to be like him and to experience a friendship with him. Now, obviously, a finite human being can't experience friendship with the infinite creator unless the infinite creator gives him the ability to do that. And the change in our nature in the classic text for grace is Second Peter 1, 4, that we have been made partakers of God's nature now, that we have been made like unto God. And this is absolutely necessary for human beings to be wholly human. Well, that and isn't that why, I mean, the Virgin Mary is the perfect model for this. You know, she was full yeah. of grace. Even though she was immaculate conceived, she still needed the grace. So for us not to have a relationship with Mary, and it really, you know, it's a shame that many of our Christian brothers and sisters don't have a relationship with her because she is the model for what it means to be full of grace and to be humble and realize it's all about the Lord. It's not about us. Well, and to be fully human. Right. I mean, the Lord, of course, is a perfect man, but he's also the person of the word. The first human person to experience a perfect human nature is the Blessed Virgin. And that's why she's the queen queen of the heaven, heaven and earth. And when we see Mary, we see someone who is what we were, what we were created to be. Uh, I once had, uh, had an evangelical friend, and he asked me, he said, what's what's this Mary bit with you guy people anyway? <laughs> and so I said, well, you, you do believe in Holy Scripture. Oh, of course. And I said, and you believe in a literal interpretation? He said, of course. And I said, well, it says in Scripture, from this day all generations will call me blessed. That's all we're doing, obeying Holy Scripture. Right. And he thought for a minute and he said, gee, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but uh, yeah. you see. And, and you're far, be, you're far be it from the Lord to, to give us this great gift that we all need so badly to really have relationship and to know him. But to not give us an example of what that truly looks like for us to follow in the human form. Well, that's absolutely true. And it's also true that most one of the reasons I wrote the book is because giving parish missions around the country, I found out that most Catholics are clueless now as to what sanctifying grace means for them. And also that they have a tendency to take it all for granted. And most people know they have to the grace is a salvation from sin, true. We're justified by grace. But what they don't know is the second half of the equation. And the Council of Trent was very clear that said justification by grace means the forgiveness of sins, yes, but also the sanctification and renewal of the interior person. So they don't realize they can have a relationship or friendship with the Holy Trinity. Either that or they reduce the Holy Trinity to their own strange way of life. Uh, 
you know, I don't, it doesn't matter what I do. God and I are okay with Jesus and I are okay with each other. Well, you're very <laughs> sure of that, even though you're living in an adulterous relationship. Oh yeah. Jesus and I are okay with each other. I'm okay. You're okay. Kind of thing. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's not true. Grace demands that you change your life. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, you and no. you even mentioned in the book, not only is it forgiveness of sins, but it's the divine indwelling of the Spirit, right? And when we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, that should change us and, and make us more receptive to the grace that's given to us, right? Yes, but, but to look on God as our friends, the Father, right. Son, and Holy Spirit, our intimate companions every day. Uh, day by day, I bless you, Lord. Day by day, you know, we magnify the Lord. The scriptures of the liturgy is loaded with this stuff. And when I find weird, of course, I really shouldn't find it that weird as a teacher. But people go Sunday after Sunday, but they don't even think about what they're saying. And <laughs> especially as regards them. I remember I was, um, there's an English author, she was an Anglican named Dorothy Sayers. She wrote uh-huh. Lord Peter Wimsey Mysteries, and she also wrote in the 1930s a series of plays based on the Gospels. So all these young Anglicans came to her, and they said, where did you get those wonderful ideas about Christ? And then she said, well, you'll find them in the Council of Chalcedon, the Council of Nicaea, but your clergy don't think you want to hear about these things. So all they talk to you about is social justice. So she made a little test in an article she wrote called The Dogma is the Drama. And in that little test, it wasn't what we actually believe, but what people think we believe. So one of the questions was, what is God the Holy Trinity? The answer was the Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, the whole thing incomprehensible, something made up by theologians to make it hard nothing to do with daily life and ethics. Well, okay. I'm sorry. If, if we believe grace is the divine indwelling of the Holy Trinity, it has everything to do with daily life and ethics. And yet uh, people are only accustomed to call on God, well, 9-11, or if they're in a service, but they don't realize that every day, everything they do, even the positive things they do, from getting up in the morning to washing the dishes, all those things the Holy Trinity is present at. Well, and when we have that relationship through the grace the Lord wants to give us, then it really gives us direction in our lives. It gives us peace. It really gives us the roadmap that you were talking about earlier. So to not have it pretty much explains why the world looks like it does today. It looks like helter-skelter. Yes, I agree. And I think the biggest unfortunate lack in American society today what makes the difference between when I was a boy and what it's like now, because I don't really recognize my country now, is even even the Protestants were strongly Protestant in those days. I mean, very few people have a spiritual life. They're, they're, you know, their minds are blotted out by all this media stuff. Um, computer games are the depth of their experience. And they don't even read great literature anymore, like Shakespeare or Milton or somebody like that. Their mind, their 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 uh, daily life is so banal. And, and one of the reasons I think we're having so much trouble with COVID is again people because people don't really have a spiritual life. So when they're left in their homes, what do they do? 
<laughs> you know, yeah, they, they watch they don't have a sense of, and they get mad at people who aren't vaccinated. Right. And and they don't experience God accompanying them. And also dealing with uh, with failure, weakness. Everybody's supposed to get an A, everybody's supposed to get a trophy. People have to deal with failure or weakness. I mean, the cross is a part of our lives. And yet, no. Mm-mm. Uh, yeah, well, I think that's where grace, yeah, I mean, grace is so important because, you know, if to truly understand redemptive suffering, if you don't have grace, then you think it's just a punishment. It's not the gift to draw you closer to Christ, right? I mean, it, it changes your whole perspective on life. Absolutely. And I was told, you know, I've been trying to understand this for a long, long time because I was born under the old church. And when I was 18, Vatican II was taking place, and I experienced the whole transition between the past church and the present church. And I had one fellow tell me that, I won't tell you who it was, but a a very famous theologian went totally bonkers in Europe in 1968 because he lost faith in the value of redemptive suffering. And I think that's uh, huge in our church now. It's very hard for me to explain the the sexual crisis among the clergy or the financial crisis among the clergy without thinking that they've just given up on redemptive suffering and they want to get it all out while they're here, whatever it is. Um, they, They have such superficial lives. And many of the homilies I hear are just awful, even from bishops. I, I, I asked one time, one recently, I attended something recently. I said, do they ever prepare their talks? I mean, well, and you hope the answer is no, because if that is a prepared talk, that, that would make you even more sick. Yeah, well, it's sad. It just is sad. Uh, the spirit, we have to have a spiritual life. Um, and in former times, I think people did, but not now. Well, you know, you it mentioned earlier... Yeah, you mentioned earlier about, you know, people go to Mass and they don't even know what they're saying. The other part of it is they don't know what they're receiving, right? That sanctifying grace that we receive through the sacraments. Um, You know, if you don't know what you're saying, you don't know what you're receiving. I mean, geez, why are you even going? Yes, and I, I, well, that's why very few people deserted Mass, you know. And uh, also, it's one of the reasons we have very little faith. You know, the faith has gone down quite a bit in the real presence because the whole experience of grace is something that people haven't been encouraged to have even as children. Um, we were encouraged to have it. Um, unfortunately, many people fell away from it when they got to be adults we, and had to face a lot of the problems. and. Also, the upheaval of the 60s, which caused a great crisis in truth. As you know, we don't think we have an objective truth anymore. Uh, what was I reading recently about uh, mathematics is what voted on or something now? Uh, I'd like to, like to, I hope I don't have to cross the bridges of engineers who were trained with uh, woke mathematics. <laughs> yeah, well, my, my dad was used to spend many hours helping me with math. If I'd have used that line on him, I'd have got smacked in the head. Yeah, yeah. Well, they'd say mathematics is racist now. What, two plus two equals four? 
about using there's right answers. It's the whole thing is just the strange, strange. At least in pagan times, people believed in some kind of truth. They don't believe in it now. Well, uh, and you talk about truth. You talk about truth in the book, right? I mean, really, the need for grace helps us know the truth, right? It's not some, you know, some malleable thought that can be whatever you want it, but to know the truth, which is Jesus, we need that grace. And when we don't have the grace, then truth can be whatever you want it to be. Absolutely. Well, and the our intellect itself is ordered toward the objective truth. And once we know one explanation, and I use Aristotle for this because Thomas Aquinas did, once we understand one explanation, the dynamism of our mind want to know truth can't really be still until we know the ultimate explanation, which can only occur in heaven when we know as we are known, as St. Paul says, God in himself, in his essence. And uh, there's just no, many, many people just don't have that desire for heaven anymore. Um, well, they don't have the desire, but yet they're miserable looking for all the answers in all the wrong places. And I think it just shows how much the Lord loves us and how much he wants to be with us, right? He has given us everything we need, right? We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have a guardian angel. We have the sacraments of the church where we can receive the sanctifying grace because he knows how difficult this world is. Yet we ignore all that and say, God, where are you? Why are you helping me? Right. Well, and the cross, you know. Right. Uh, the cross stands above all as uh, the means of our salvation because of how we get grace back and it's where we see how much God loves us and his fullness. But they don't, you know, I don't know. Now, I was very uh, impressed many years ago when they put out the Passion of the Christ movie. A lot of people were very influenced by that. I was present with people weeping during it and things like that. But then you have to take the next step. You know, and I'm not sure that's people are capable of that. Uh, I had a person ask me a question on the radio show. He doubled ten. Now, why exactly is it a sin not to go to mass? <laughs> I want to say, well, let's see. <laughs> First of all, it's how, against how long do you have? Man. How long do you have for me to answer that question? Right. Uh, yeah. Well, one of my ultimate answers was, suppose I told a woman I loved her, but I never went to see her, but she'd object. She'd doubt my love for her. Well, it's the same with Christ. One hour a week isn't too much to ask for the center of your salvation and your reception of Christ himself and the experience of being present at the cross and all those things that teach us how important this need is. But again, if you don't think you need it or you're not lively to it, it's going to be kind of a ho-hum experience, you know. Right, and then and then you wonder why you're miserable. But grace isn't magic either, right? It doesn't keep us from mortal sin. We still need to choose the Lord each and every day. But that allows us, because of the relationship grace gives us with him, to, to be certain that that choice is the right choice. We just have to do it, though, right? It really involves an act of the will. Grace is in the will, but it's the will motivated by truth, the intellect, right. to finally be fulfilled because grace isn't fulfilled until we see God in the face, in the intellect. 
So both truth and love are necessary. Uh, and I remember I had a Franciscan friend who used to always go, now, Father Brian, remember, God is love. And I said, <laughs> yes, and God is also truth, because you can love falsely. Many people do. And he'd say, well, that's true. <laughs> well, hopefully, so, it they, hopefully it changed his tune when he talks to people like that about that. Yeah. Well, also, we have to remember the different kinds of grace, too. And what grace is, God's love. It's God's love for us. And though God's love is like man's love, I try to explain that in the book because it's the approval of a good. Our love has to find a good already existing. We don't create it by loving it. Whereas God's love creates good in love. So we're first loved into existence. Then we're loved because we have an intellect and will, a spiritual life. But then finally we're loved because God elevates us to have communion and blessedness with us. And that's not true of any other thing that exists. And also, um, we need to emphasize that there are differences in grace, too. So actual grace is where God aids us to convert and supports our conversion. And we have to rely on God's actual grace to persevere by enlightening our minds and strengthening our wills. Sanctifying grace is a true change and what our souls are to elevate us to be like God. And then, of course, charismatic grace, which you can have and still be in the state of sin, is God using us to bring grace to other people. And God is stymied by the weakness of his instruments in this. And those are we, we, all those things are wonderful to contemplate and meditate on. So that's why I try to put them in the book, too, and explain them. No, I thought you did a really good job of doing that and kind of walking through uh, grace, you know, what is it? You talk about the law and grace. I mean, you did a great job of really walking a person through that ultimately grace is a gift and the Lord wants to give us all the graces we need. It's us denying the gifts. All we have to do is say yes. And the Lord wants to fill us with these grace, but we have to say no to sin and vice and yes to the gift. Right. Right. And unfortunately we can refuse to cooperate, well, it's possible for us to do that. So in other words, we can place an impediment to receiving the light. The light's always there, but the impediment's in us. And hopefully for most people, the impediment won't be something they experience at the hour of their death because they could go to a place without grace, which is hell forever. Right. But and we, don't like talk, we don't talk about that too much, but it is there. The possibility is always there, but it's because we place an impediment in the way of receiving the light, not because God doesn't give us the light. Well, and an impediment you mentioned earlier is, you know what, why do I need to go to mass or to be living in a state of mortal sin where we can't receive the graces because, but all it would take is a good confession to open us back Absolutely. up to receiving those graces, right? Absolutely. But, you know, that's that's tough to get people to do sometimes. <laughs> well, in this world, um, no one wants to admit that they're wrong, right? Everybody, I mean, you see people leave the Catholic Church because they want to find a community that agrees with them, as opposed to, as you mentioned before, when you receive grace, you change. And people want to do it the other right. way around, which is what leads them further from the Lord and further from the grace he wants to give them. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I get you know I get parish missions all over the United States, and it's it's strange because you offer opportunities for confession, but people don't come, or if they do come, many not everybody, of course, but there's a healthy number that either have no idea what a sin is, or they th- they think they're guilty of everything. You know, they're too scrupulous. But right. you know, I've had people try to talk to me about feeding their cat in confession. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know much about cats. It has nothing to do with this. But they they don't have any clue what sins really are. You know. Well, and that's where preaching is so important. And if you don't hear this stuff, uh, most people aren't going to do it on their own, and they need to be hear it at, at masses on Sunday. Um, it really is important. That's why I think this book is so important. Hopefully, people listening to this show will realize even if they don't know about grace or why they need it, they'll read the book and they'll find, oh my gosh, I need this. And this isn't that hard. This isn't rocket science. This is the Lord loving us and want us to have a relationship with him and hopefully be with him for all eternity. Right. Well, that's why I wrote the book in a more popular way. Uh, I have a highfalutin book written in a very theological way for technical experts. But in this book, I was aiming just at ordinary people to try to give them the the basic uh, sketch of what our our doctrine. Most again, I say most people are surprised when they experience what our doctrine of grace really is. Well, I would say you hit the mark because I actually understood it, and if I understand it, then probably everybody will. Uh, but just as a reminder, we're down about the last 30, 40 seconds. The name of the book is Grace Explained, How to Receive and Retain God's Most Potent Gift. Uh, it's put out by Sophia Press. My guess is you can find it on Amazon too, right, Father? Yes, I believe so. And uh, how can people follow what you're doing? Do you have like a web page or anything like that? If they type my name in. Brian, B-R-I-A-N, Milady, M-U-L-L-A-D-Y. It will lead them to the, the site. If you like the content of these shows that we produce on a weekly basis, please prayerfully consider supporting us. Go to ccdenver.org, click on the Donate button, and then click on Respect Life Denver to support this programming. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.